Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How are you doing, buddy? Great. Good weekend. Um, doing fantastic. Crazy soccer games. We're going to watch some more. It's going to be a good weekend. It's been six months. I've been clean. Clean of? I haven't gone on WebMD for six months. <laughs> is that good? I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, I Where actually... Where did that come from? What are you talking about? So, <laughs> so what was... So, with things that are going on in, in my personal life, just in regards to, like, family members, illnesses, and so forth, you start looking up stuff, and I'm like... And I, and I, I searched some of these, these concerns, well, medical concerns that some family members are having, and it actually tells you on your Google search when was the last time you looked at this? Yep. Six months, WebMD. Wow. That's pretty good. I've stayed away from, you know, messing around with my brain on the different things that could happen potentially from a medical perspective. Good for you. For six months, I am clean. Good for you. No, no program was You needed. realize you're not a doctor now? And well, you can't interpret the data accurately, yes? Yeah, well, yes. And, I, and I've reduced my extreme thoughts from cold or cancer in the same... In the same, the same report, I haven't had to worry about those right. things. You know, we're going to talk about that because I think that's a cool segue in interpreting data in our markets, yeah. right? It's the same. It's a, it's the same thing. So, hey, congratulations, by the way. Six months clean. I don't think that really benefits anybody <laughs> uh, very often. We've got a pretty good um, uh, lineup today. We're going to talk to David Fingold a little bit about uh, markets, the volatility, how to position, what the different scenarios look like going forward. And if you don't know who Dave Fingold is, he's one of the uh, highest ranked portfolio managers in the country, yep. um, has done very well over the long term, very disciplined in his approach. We've had the opportunity and the pleasure to work with him uh, over a decade now. And I think this is, a, this is a gentleman that you want to get his insight on how he sees the world yep. and how he sees the opportunities to make money. Um, he's done a great job, so why not learn from some of the best? Let's talk about interpreting data, because I think that was, it's been an interesting week. Um, in fact, I would say started maybe last week in, in terms of interpreting data and how different people do it. And what I'm speaking about here Not is, WebMD. Not WebMD. Okay. No. But it can be just as confusing, and sometimes the catastrophic thinking can kick in. But sure. you know what's interesting is we got, we're in an environment now, Faisal, as you know, where uh, good economic news can be interpreted as bad news. Right? And bad news can be interpreted as good news. And the reason for that is because the central banks are trying to take some of the demand out of the system. So th we need to th see things slow down. Normally, when economies slow down, that's not good, right? We, yeah. we want things to grow. Okay, so we're in this weird environment where sometimes the opposite, you know, it means the opposite of what, uh, of what you might normally interpret it as. So um, Friday's trading action in the morning, I thought, was a good example of this, right? So... Inflation clearly is, is a focus for the market. We got some data on what would be considered wholesale inflation information in the United States. So the people that produce the goods that we buy, what's inflation look like for them? Because that often gets passed along in the value chain. Okay. So the market was anticipating that the wholesale inflation number would fall to 7.2%. Okay. And the, the number we actually got was 7.4%. And so this was fascinating. The futures markets went from positive to pretty deeply negative. Okay, and then the you know the first hour of trading is always interesting. What I was talking about on on the, in the media in the morning is it will be fascinating to watch the market not just on Friday but over time interpret this data through a lens that is either a glass half full or a glass half empty. And depending on how you see that, has inflation fallen, which is positive? Did it fall enough? No. 
well, that's negative. How do we interpret this data? And we're in an environment that's going to be very sensitive to that kind of interpretation for the next maybe couple quarters. So let me go back to my WebMD analogy. Mm -hmm. If anybody has been uh, touched in, in a, or impacted because of cancer, every time you go back for a test, what you feel inside of you about the, uh-oh, what could happen? What could go wrong? That is exactly what the markets are feeling right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to have more data coming in next week for inflation. We're going to have more data come in uh, with regards to what the central bankers wants to do. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. It's like going in to see how is this, this problem of cancer happening? Is it, right. it, are we progressing positively or negatively? And people will react emotionally in a health scare like cancer. They're doing the same thing in the markets. And so I think when we look at what's really happening is we're just waiting to find out, A, what the test is, B, what's the results of the test, and then where do we go from here? All that uncertainty in that time frame just lets people, markets, traders, algorithms, veer off on the edges of extreme viewpoints. Right. So that's part of the reason why I said, you know, six months WebMD free, mm -hmm. for some people that's a, that's a funny comment I'm making, but that's a big step for people who look at that, that platform on an ongoing, on a regular basis and go, oh my God, what could go, what could happen? Yep. This is what's happening in the market. So I think when we look back and go, okay, what are the possible outcomes? And we've talked about this, what's the worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. Let's let let's the, use the doomsday mentality, yep. which is going to be all around the media, mm -hmm. especially on the fringes. Mm -hmm. We're going down by 50, 60, 70 percent, right. Dave. Right. All the way to this is all overblown. It's you know we're going to the moon and everything in between and everything in between. You so bet. I think I think this is if we can think of it like an individual who's going to go back to find out how the cancer is. Is it progressing? Is it not? Are we in remission? Is it benign? What's going on? Right. These are the words that we'll be using in the, in the markets as well. Yeah. And so I think if we get comfortable around that and proper portfolio construction will allow you to wear that. What you're going to hear from many of our peers in the industry is just hang in there. Hold on. Don't worry. Ride it out. It may be rough at the beginning. It'll be better in the later half, whatever and so forth. It's just making people sit. Right. And I don't know if that's the right strategy given all the things of risk that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I agree. And we, you know, we talk about structure and discipline all the time and the different pillars. And so it's not just about one market either. Remember, when we say market, when people say market, it often just refers to whatever stock market they happen to be looking at at that time. Correct. And that one stock market doesn't represent all stock markets. It doesn't represent all stocks. It doesn't represent the bond market, the alternatives market. Right, the pillars, the structure, the discipline, all that becomes really important in protecting yourself on the downside, but also profiting when things turn. And when you look at, um, I think Canadians, we uh, as Canadians, we get we get slapped across the face with multiple pieces of information. And yeah. I use that terminology um, with intent. We will watch something on TV or listen on the radio, read something on print, and. It could be about one type of market. Correct. Let's say the, uh, the U.S. stock market. U.S. stock market's overvalued, and that's it. That's the end of the world. Right. 
Forget the fact that there's a whole bunch of other nations that have stocks that are trading on their own on their own markets and exchanges that are better value. And listen, within the U.S., it may might be referring to an index, not individual securities. And, and here's right. what exactly. And right. here's what I find very mm -hmm. interesting. If you ask every single chief investment officer, every single analyst about their pessimistic view on the U.S., and you ask them. Does that mean you're not investing in the U.S. at all? None of them, and I say none of them have said, we're 0% in U.S. Right. We just think it's overvalued. They will give you their viewpoint. The way it looks or seems on the media is, oh my God, this is the end of the world, right. way overpriced, but then where do they put their money? Is it where their mouth is <laughs> or where their actual mind is? Because if you believe the U.S. is done, it's way overvalued, it's gonna go 50% to the negative. I'd like to meet the chief investment officers, the analysts, the economists out there that are saying, don't put a dime in that area. Right, or don't be long any, any US security, any stock, yeah. any company, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen, right. right? There are points in time where they're just referencing volatility. Correct, we've had a lot of volatility this year. Um, uh, markets, depending on which one you're looking at, have been all over the place uh, this year. How do we make sense of this and how do we position going forward, I think, is an important part of the conversation. And we've got a terrific guest. You alluded to this at the top of the hour. David Fingal is joining us, a recurring guest. Um, and he's had a wonderful long, uh, long uh, time track record with a terrific discipline and investment discipline. I think we're very fortunate to have him. Give us some, his insights as to where we are and where we're going. Yeah, we're joined by David Fingal, Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager with Dynamic Funds. David, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on. Maybe we can start with that. that um, introductory comment that I made, David, there's people have experienced a tremendous or investors have experienced a tremendous amount of volatility this year. Maybe we'll just get your, your comments on the source of the volatility uh, that we've seen so far. And then a little bit about your, your insight in that volatility uh, going forward. Look, I think that the, the most important thing that I can communicate is that uh, investing is not easy. I think it can be much easier for an investor when they work with an advisor but it's still not easy. You know, I remember being at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting maybe 10 or 15 years ago and someone asked Mr. Buffett what to expect from markets. And I think he said to expect around seven or 8%, but he said not in any given year and for all the numbers to be extremely different than seven or 8%. So we're going through one of those kinds of years where the numbers are extremely different. You know, the alternative guaranteed investments only guarantee some low interest rate that over time is almost always lower than the rate of inflation. So you have a difficult choice, which is to be guaranteed to lose money after inflation or to work with an advisor and to have a plan and to have a chance of growing your assets after inflation. And we were just thrown one of those years where advice from an advisor, patience, and a mature attitude from an investor are very important. You know, I was taught, and, and, and I graduated from business school almost 35 years ago, I was taught that the uh, first interest rate hike is not the one that gets you, it's the last interest rate hike. And every once in a while we find out the things we learned are not always right. So the Fed had not even begun hiking this year and uh, things became very uncomfortable for everybody within the markets. 
Um, what ended up happening was we had probably the largest interest rate increase that anybody has ever experienced. And the reason why I say it is I think the people are confused. They say, oh, rates went up 3% or something like that. And they don't understand that because of the duration formula, that that's actually a huge amount when your starting point is a very low starting yield on 10-year government bonds. The losses in the government bond market in the United States tied the record from one year during the 19th century. So when I say nobody's experienced it, the answer is because the last group of people who experienced it have long since passed away. And that's reverberated through capital markets. The other thing you've had happen is the circumstance uh, geopolitically, which has been frustrating to have to live through and very shocking because you saw a situation where a conflict was emerging in Eastern Europe, and it was the kind of conflict that historically we would deal with through negotiation. Uh, our partners in Europe asked for negotiations and continue to ask for negotiations, uh, but we have yet to enter negotiations. So at the same time that we had that interest rate mayhem, we had geopolitical mayhem. Uh, we ended up going through a first half where actually we were perhaps in technical recession in the United States. Real growth was negative two quarters in a row. And the stock market reacted the way that it normally would react for a mild recession. So when we are looking at what has gone on this year, we have had almost everything that could go wrong go wrong. So the key thing from uh, our approach was to understand that things were getting frustrating and as soon as we understood they were becoming frustrating to take the appropriate defensive measures and then the other thing and i think this is the most important point is that we are focused on the long term and we also want to capitalize on the opportunities that are created by the volatility within the market so I'd say right now that what we're balancing on a daily basis is to try to be appropriately conservative because the things we are all concerned about are not over. They will end. So we also have one eye on the long-term opportunity. And um, you know, as the amount of worry begins to decrease, we will move more and more of our focus on the long-term as opposed to the short-term risk management. So, David, can I, let me jump in there in regards to what you're you're anticipating for the new year now. Now that you've, you've, you've kind of put the landscape up about the volatility and what's really been happening for 2022 primarily, where do you see 2023 going? Look, flipping the calendar doesn't change anything other than the fact that we're looking at the month of January instead of December on our calendars. So the issues that we are dealing with, like digesting higher interest rates or whether or not uh, we will get a clearer answer from China on Taiwan or a clearer answer from the parties that are involved in the conflict in Eastern Europe about whether or not they will negotiate. These are all matters that are not necessarily going to get divided, get decided as the calendar flips over. But as I consider that we have already lived through over 11 months of, of this volatility, and that perhaps if we uh, pinpoint the start of this process uh, to the peak in speculation in March of last year, back when 
we you know first started to see the damage done to the most speculative parts of the market, uh, like the cryptos and the meme stocks and the SPACs, it suggests that actually we could be 18 months into a process. Uh, these corrective processes within markets, you know, on, on, we call them technically bear markets, do not last forever. The bull markets are longer. And we've gone through quite a bit of this one. Um, you know, if a recession uh, ended in the, on June 30th of this year, and it looks like the third quarter uh, you know, was positive, then it's possible that the volatility is behind us. It's also very possible because there have been recessions where you get two negative quarters, then one positive one. It's possible that actually a recession started and uh, some forecasters, and I'd call it actually consensus, think it could end June 30th, in, in which case the market will start to look ahead during the second quarter. So I think we're getting near the end of this process. And as, as you will well know, when you go through a frustrating year, uh, what tends to follow is years that are less frustrating. It's very unusual to string together frustrating year upon frustrating year because recessions don't last forever. Bear markets don't last forever. People take corrective actions. Uh, an important point, though, is right now I'm talking about the overall economy which is starting to improve sequentially because the consumer is no longer as highly taxed on food and energy. Those prices have come down off of high boil, which is why I think we saw the growth in the third quarter as gasoline and food came down. So some things were already getting better. The, the other thing that I would say is I think the market is already looking forward. I mean, that commodity price spike, I think, helped us all understand we had not probably we had not properly invested in energy, whether it be traditional fossil fuels, whether it be alternatives, traditional non-fossil fuels like hydro. Uh, it was very clear from that oil price spike that we need to do more investment in that space. And you can already see that from uh, energy looking ahead and outperforming. And you can also see the industrials have been outperforming uh, since July, and the focus is around things like automation and energy savings, which is again uh, correcting, I think, the mistakes that were, you know, illustrated by the pain we went in the first through in the first half. So I think the, you know, those are just two examples of how the frustration we've already experienced is already leading to new leadership in the markets. We talked about geopolitical risk. And the performance of the defense contractors is clearly showing that the stock market sees that we need to do more spending in that space. And I know that we all wish for peace, but it's difficult to negotiate for peace unless you're in a position of strength. And even long-time holdouts on defense spending like Canada and Germany have now agreed to spend 2% of, of, of GDP on defense. You've got a very uh, long-term uh, uh, track record of success, and there's a discipline behind what you do. Could you maybe share with us a little bit about that discipline and where that discipline is showing you the opportunities are right now? Certainly. There's, there's two pieces to it. Uh, there's the bottom-up investing part of what we do, and you know, earlier I mentioned Mr. Buffett, and yes, I am one of those people. I've been to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting six times. Now that it's streamed over the internet, uh, I and, and you can enjoy it from, from your home. 
But that whole process of buying good quality businesses that are well-managed, well-financed, with prospects for growth, uh, and you know, taking a long-term view on investing in them is, is where we're focused. And the other part of it that I think is very important is that we have to divide that focus into two things. You have, when you have companies that are not cyclical, like for instance, when we're investing in healthcare, which is an industry that is not very cyclical, we need to find catalysts and attractive valuation. If we're investing in cyclical businesses, we need to find all of the above, but we also have to take a view on the cycle. We have to decide when things are getting better, and we have to decide when things are as good as they can get. So we have to put all that together uh, in, into the process, and, and that's what we do. Uh, you know, Earlier, I talked a little bit about energy, and that's an industry which up until recently had underperformed uh, for a decade. So it's below its long-term trend. So a lot of the industries that we are looking to are industries that are below their long-term trend. The industries that have really done well over the last few years that are way ahead of their trends, you know, and, and I think the technology comes to mind, but a lot of us have new technology equipment, new software. We've invested a lot in that space. Um, there are areas of underinvestment that represent opportunities in the cyclicals. And then, as I mentioned, with the more defensive spaces like healthcare, it's a combination of an attractive valuation because they underperformed for about three years. And also that there's some companies that have exciting new discoveries. And we're not talking here about emerging companies. There are senior blue chip pharmaceutical companies that have made tremendous discoveries that will improve people's lives. And that's also an area for us to focus on. So when you look at those those areas of opportunity, you, you talked about below the trend line, there are some like technology, and we can spread that out to different uh, subsectors of that industry beyond technology, because I think that's been given the headline yep. out there that technology is overvalued to many. Are there other areas where you're saying, you know, let's be careful, or maybe even geographical locations that you're saying be careful? Any 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 that comes out your your um, on your research? Our, our, look, our founder, Ned Goodman, uh, talked about how leadership alternates in cycles. So for those of us who are old enough to remember, we'll remember that uh, during the 1990s, the extractive industries, things like oil and gas and mining, did very poorly. And then they did well during the 2000s. Uh, technology did very well in the 90s, and then it took a break in the 2000s. And we know that technology did very well in the 2010s, and right now it appears to be taking a break. Um, in terms of what is, you know, what, what we're concerned about, uh, there has been a lot of investment in consumer goods. Uh, we can see that in almost all the consumer good industries that a lot of demand got pulled forward. Uh, in, in healthcare, which is an area that we really like, there was a lot of investment made in the equipment for producing pharmaceuticals because of the investments made in the vaccine production. And while we do like the companies that are making the discoveries, there's, in, at least in the short term, an overcapacity of the equipment to produce the drugs. Now, that, that'll get digested, and maybe next year or the year after, there'll be an opportunity in, in, in that area. But right now, we just have to go industry by industry and look at what is uh, below trend. Uh, defense spending is below trend. Uh, investment in oil and gas and mining is, is below trend. 
Um, rail is below trend. You know, I think that last year there may not have been a single locomotive sold in the United States. So th these businesses that were not doing well and then the equipment just got older are areas where we think they're going to be on the upswing. Whereas if you look at a lot of the spending we've seen from people who were sheltering in place during the lockdowns and did home improvement and so forth, a lot of demand got pulled forward there. So maybe we need to be a bit more patient before going to those kinds of spaces. You know, and then also we have to be concerned about the COVID beneficiaries. Uh, I think that everybody already has the video conferencing software they need or the, elect, you know, or, or the do electronic document signing uh, software that they need and so forth. Those purchases are being made and those products are going to get used, but I don't know if those markets are going to grow from here. You know, the other thing we have to be concerned about is whether or not there's been any long-term trends in people's behavior. I will say that the way that the uh, office building owners, the U.S. office REITs are acting, uh, there is some concern about occupancy. The, the, the increasing amount of hybrid work is, seems to be demanding less office space. And a number of the large American banks are looking for buyers for their commercial real estate portfolios which suggests that commercial real estate is an area that might have overcapacity because of changed consumer behavior. So unfortunately, we have to analyze everything. We can't just look blindly at fundamentals, and we also can't look blindly at trends because you, know, you could have a trend everybody agrees upon, and that might mean that the companies that benefit from it are already expensive and fully discount a good outcome. So we've got to bring everything together. When you talk about parts of the world, um, the, the international markets have really underperformed uh, the United States. It's not surprising. In bear markets, the U.S. has a record of always outperforming. Uh, as we transition, uh, perhaps towards a bull market as we move through next year, uh, one would expect to see more leadership out of the international markets. But a lot of this has nothing to do with politics. It just has to do with the, the fact that statistically there's more cyclicals in places like Europe and Japan than there is in the United States. And uh, as the economy uh, you know, finds a floor and starts to move forward after those couple of quarters we had of negative growth, then uh, more money will move towards cyclicals and benefit international markets over the U.S., uh, so my suspicion is that, you know, we need to be slowly engaging in that because, you know, I can see how the economy can, you know, move at a slower pace. But as we start to move into the first and the second quarter of next year, we're going to be comparing against the difficulties we had in the first half of this year, which makes it easier to grow as we drive forward. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that people forget about when the economy slowed and you know, you, you see negative numbers on GDP, they extrapolate it into the future, but then they don't understand if we just had a negative GDP quarter, 12 months later, you have an easy comparison and it's easier to have a positive number. Uh, inventories get cleared out of the system, business confidence comes back, and it's possible we're already moving towards that growth. But I think that over the next couple of quarters in the worst case scenario, we will move towards that growth. Okay, I think we have to probably leave it there. There's lots to digest there, David. Thank you, as always, I think you do a wonderful job of giving us uh, both perspective, discipline, and talking about the analysis that, that is needed to really properly protect and profit 
when the times are right. You know, the one thing that people can take away from David beyond just the information he's provided <clears throat> us is that you can hear the discipline in the approach. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have that discipline, then you're left at the mercy of the market versus a money manager like... Or like, guessing, right? Or guessing. guessing. Or, versus what you're seeing with David where he actually has the process. It's not just a linear process of fundamentals only or technicals only or cyclicals only or economic or one trend only, right or geopolitical yeah. only like yeah. we can get pulled into the extremes on those cases yeah. but look at that, that approach I think that's one thing that investors have to understand and there's an approach to that there's a discipline that's what we're going to do but David thank you for joining us today you're welcome we've been joined by David Fingo vice president and senior portfolio manager of dynamic funds we talked on we touched on this in our in our first segment a little bit my friend but I want to talk about how do we rescue somebody's retirement if they're feeling, oh, it, it, it's not good. So let me let me paint the picture. For for a while now, when we have volatility like this and people are concerned about their portfolios, their retirement, we always say, A, go get your financial plan done if you haven't yeah. got one done. Yeah. B, stress test your financial plan um, and see how the the retirement looks. Now let me let's go with the people who've actually listened to what we've been saying. And they've done that. And they it comes back and it goes, you're short. You're not going to be able to reach your income goals that you or your lifestyle goals that you've painted out okay. uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah. Okay. Based on this moment in time. Okay. Now, I can tell you what the thoughts are or the reactions of the majority of Canadians. Number one, let's go and harbor, protect go into GIC rates, they're, they're at all-time high, well, not all-time, they're more, most yeah. recent highs, yeah. uh, or we've got better interest now than ever in, in a long time, let's, let's go and do that instead. That's option one. Option two is, uh-oh, I'm short, let's pick up the risk on this, let's put more in the stock market, let's get, I need bigger returns, yeah. I need more money, they don't say, let's pick up the risk. They say, let's go chase more returns, Ch don't they? Fair enough. That's fair. Don't That's they? fair. So, yeah. let's, so let's go chase more return. Yeah. And intrinsically, people in our industry say, well, if you're looking for bigger returns, you have to be comfortable with bigger risk. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where the problem lies. Right. Is that the majority of Canadians are going to one extreme or the other. And our industry are order takers. I need to make more money in my portfolio. And then our peers in the industry will come back and say, here you go. Right. You asked for this. Here's what you want. Are you comfortable with that? The higher potential risk. And when you're in the emotion of this, that you have to catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put it in there. Right. I just need more money. And you're saying well, this will give me more money? Then give it to me. Without understanding the issue of the one part of the biggest equation you'll need going forward through your retirement, and that's the understanding of risk. Right. So there's an equation we talk about, and I think this equation is intuitive to people when we talk about, you know, to, to get more return. People, I think, intuitively understand that that probably means you have to take on more risk, but they don't understand, they don't understand the equation of risk plus return equals the result that they get. Intuitively, we understand there's a relationship, Basil, I would argue. Empirically, 
people chase return. So let me let me paint the picture. For those of you who haven't come to one of our, our sessions, this is what we did uh, this week <clears throat> at one of our, our seminars that we do every single month. We put up on the screen two portfolios. Yep. Portfolio A, Portfolio B. Portfolio A, 10-year average return, 11.5%. Portfolio B, 10.5% 10-year average rate of return. Yeah. Which one would you take? Which one would you take? Right. Let me guess. Everybody <laughs> put their hands up for the 11.5. I want more return. Makes so, sense, right? So I'll tell you, I'll pause there for a second. What most Canadians do is they will chase the number as if that's the only part of the equation. Well, I want that 11.5%, not the 10.5, because it's more. Yeah, but hang on a second. I'm gonna, I'll play devil's advocate. At the end of the 10 years, I had more with portfolio A than portfolio B. I want that. Correct. Okay, so that's that's the, 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 the foundation of what people start with. Okay. Then on that screen, we put another metric underneath it. And we said, okay, portfolio A, which outperformed portfolio B over that ten -year the 10-year period, yep. period, had twice the amount of volatility than if you were in portfolio B. What does and that then, mean? So we said, if you look at the range of volatility of that portfolio, one of the leading portfolios in the industry today, over right. the last 10 years, right. you would have to accept over any 12-month period 28% swing in the portfolio on the negative side as well. Right. On portfolio B, which had a less of a return, yep. the volatility on the downside was like eight. Yeah. Okay. So if you got $2 million <laughs> and you want that 11.5% rate of return, you are, $2 million could, be, could fall by $560,000. Portfolio B, which gives you less of a return, the downside was $160,000 at its worst performance. Right. Okay, which now do you prefer? And all of a sudden, everybody started to put up their hands for Portfolio B, right. which had a lower return. In the absence of knowing the risk, return is the only thing That's we it. focus on. Right. And so we said, here is the mathematical equation you need to know going forward. Risk plus return equals the results you should expect. Right. And then do those results match what you need, right? And I'm going to sit I'm going to say let's let's just move away for a second from just the mathematical result because what happens emotionally? Now I'm talking behavioral finance when that 2 million dollars falls by $560,000 to the average person, what happens? Do they do they stay in it and say, "Oh, that's just that's part of it?" Do they just go to sleep and wake up the next day and not look at their portfolio, not lose sleep, not cut their lifestyle, not change anything? That's the problem. Right. That's the problem. And I think that's where <clears throat> people need to get their minds around. And I'll tell you what's going to happen in 2023, Dave. There are going to be a lot of uh, portfolios that say, look how great they've done, mm -hmm. whatever time frame, and you're, they're going to focus on the return. Here's what's interesting about Canadians. And I will probably throw Americans in this one, too. When they look at growing their portfolio, they look in percent. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> when people lose on their portfolio, they look in dollars. Yeah, that's right. So a client could say to you, I lost $50,000. Well, you have $5 million. That's 1%. But I lost $50,000. Right. That's a lot of money. And they're right. 
And it's the next year they could say, I only made 1%. Correct. It's the same thing. <laughs> You're so right about that. So I think Canadians, and I'll throw in Americans yeah. there too, our American audience, they want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. When we look at risk, look at it in form of dollars. Right. When you look at return, look at in form of percent. Right. And does that match? Right. Does that equation make you feel comfortable? Right. Knowing what you've gone through and really look at yourself and say, can I handle a $560,000 drop? Very few people are comfortable with that. But if you could, and you were prepared to go to sleep for 10 years and not look at your portfolio, you could have earned 1% more compounded average than on something with a lower risk, right? Yeah, but which on a compounded basis is yeah, a large difference. Can add up, that's right. Just nobody, not nobody, very few people can survive that down without making an emotional mistake an emotional decision. And without, that's without impact. Without, without impact. impact. It may not just be an emotional reaction. It'd be an impact in some way. Sorry, that's, that. yeah, exactly right. Because people mm-hmm. right now are saying, well, can I retire? People are saying, do I have to go back to work? Right. How you build that portfolio to get the results you're needing. Exactly right. Step number one. Yep. Number two, what risk are you willing to take? And then are those results going to match who you are as an individual? And as a family, whatever it might be, right? And that's where it comes into play. You got it. Because if I could get 11%, 11.5%, like I was saying, and I didn't, I didn't look at it for 10 years, I wouldn't care. Right. I, I have yet to meet a single investor, and if you're one of them, please reach out to us, yeah. that you don't look at your, your portfolio for 10 years. Right. You have, no, you have no idea. You just put it in there, and you won't look at it for 10 years. I have yet to meet one person that does that. That's correct. Because if they look at it on the day where they're down $560,000, that's impact. Yeah, that's impact for sure. Okay, so risk... Plus results equals return. Nope, Let's try to the way around. Risk plus oh, return Risk plus equals return. the results the result. that you can expect. So let's talk about that equation and bringing it to life in terms of a full lifestyle and, and plan to make sure you can get through those periods of time and still do what you want to do. Yeah, that's when we're going to talk about that. Our upcoming seminar, Tuesday, January 24th, 7 p.m., live at the Silver Springs Golf and Country Club. You need to mm-hmm. register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. And of course, at morethanmoneyradio.com, you can hear all of our past segments on, on this show uh, that we've done. Please feel free to, uh, to join us at any point and listen, uh, sign up for our podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we'll chat with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.